0: Oh, my God. This book, A Stain Upon the Sea, it's all about these sea lice. Interesting. They call them Klingons.
1: Do you say Klingons? Are you ready? 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 Relax. Breathe. Enjoy. A bit.
0: A bit. A bit. Denny Crane. All right, everybody.
2: Walk along. Move it. All
0: reality, none of it scripted. Get up. I see why I got a dumpster. I'm about to. Get up.
3: From Forest Rain Studios, the home of Boston-Legal.org, you're connected to Boston Illegal here and now. Move it. Finding Nemo, a story of salmon, raccoon hands, a clergy fetish, and icebox, and moving on. It's Friday, October 14. It's a few days after Boston Legal Tuesdays. I'm Dana Greenlee. You're listening to Boston Illegal, an unofficial weekly audio experience of Boston Legal. That's the David E. Kelly produced television show on Tuesday nights in the United States on ABC, also with the help of 20th Century Fox, and of course, the David E. Kelly Productions, You (laughs) Today's Boston Legal Radio is essentially a conversation between Kyle and myself, about the episode three of season two called Finding Nemo. This is a podcast. You probably know where you downloaded it, but if not, or if you're listening to this because someone sent you an MP3, you can find us every week at boston-legal.org or at several podcast directories. We're now at podcasts.yahoo.org.com. Yahoo just launched a few days ago, their little podcast initiative, quite a number of shows in there. Boston Illegal Radio is one of them. So you can go to the front page at podcasts.yahoo.com and do a search for Boston Legal, and we'll come right on up. And plus all the past shows that you may have missed. With me right now is Kyle Abney. Kyle's the official reviewer of Boston Legal. No, I'm sorry, the official reviewer of Boston Legal. <laughs> but you can find that at boston-legal.org. And uh, he did that at TV Tome for, for the whole first season. Hi there, Kyle.
4: Hey there. Good to be back again for another week.
3: You kind of had an eventful week after we, we finished with our podcast last week. You yeah. left within an hour, and what happened?
4: Um, I went on to uh, basketball practice like I normally do. It takes up a lot of my time.
3: Every, partly every night, right? <laughs>
4: yeah, every night, except for Sundays. And I um, had a little bit of an incident. Um, set a screen the wrong way, hit my arm the wrong way, and turns out I've fractured my ulna in my left arm, so.
3: Your ulna. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's man.
4: the bone that goes down to your pinky. Oh, wow. So, yes, I've learned a lot about the bones in my arm since breaking my arm.
3: Is that an extended bone that runs through your hand and even up your forearm? Or yeah, does it... it does. Wow. What does this mean to your basketball career?
4: <laughs> well, right now, um, it means I'm going to be out for four to six weeks. Wow. Um, but they're not casting it because the doctor that I went to He's done all of my. I've had plenty of breaks and injuries in the past. He's done Seriously? all of them. Seriously? Oh. Yeah. He's he's he told me that if I want to get back on the court, the faster, the, you know, a better chance of getting on the court faster would be not to cast it and just to let the bone heal as much as I can because he called it a transverse fracture, which means it's cut straight across and should heal itself up nicely. But that's too much talking about my broken
3: arm. Wow. Well, I guess that's better than splintered bone, right?
4: Yeah, it is. It's a. Good, clean cut, and it basically said it should just take time for the two bones to reach out and meld together again.
3: Meanwhile, you still have to show up at all the conditioning and all the ga- right. you know, all the practice and stuff, and sit that's, there and that's watch. A yeah a there. Oh no! I guess you could still um, run. What do suicides and run yeah, I can still bleachers. Run and,
4: and- <laughs> yeah, I can still run and lift weights a little bit. Like I can do a um, little bit of leg like leg lifting, and I can do um, free weights with my right arm, I guess, if I wanted to.
3: All right. Well, anybody who particularly has any good advice for um, yeah. Kyle and broken bones, you just know where to know. contact him. Actually, where can people contact you if they want to? You can
4: email me about anything, really, at um, aliasabney, A-L-I-A-S-A-B-N-E-Y, at hotmail.com. And, you know, if you want to talk to me about a review I, written, I wrote at boston-legal.org or about what I say today or about my broken arm, just <laughs> drop me a line and I'll
3: reply. Sympathy cards and money accepted.
4: Yes, yeah, definitely.
3: And you can also contact me at bostonillegal at gmail.com. And we'd be happy to hear from you if you want to leave a voicemail at 1-800-986-8290. We're not talking so much about call with questions about the episodes and demand to be called back, which I've been getting a flurry of that kind of call. Uh, <laughs> call me back. you know. But this is just stuff that we'll use on the podcast. I actually can't be calling all over the world returning phone calls. I've just... You know, a poor little girl. Anyway, <laughs> we'll get into Boston legal topics. And yes. like we always do, we like to cover a little bit of the news of Boston legal. It's amazing how in one week you can have so much news. And then we'll get into talking about the episode of Finding Nemo. But why don't you lead off with the big news that just was announced a day ago?
4: Big casting news. Um, another great guest star, Um David Kelly, has a history of drawing in nice, big actors into his shows. Um we have a new guest star coming to Boston Legal. Michael J. Fox will be guest starring on the on the show, and he began shooting his, his episodes on Thursday. And right now, it's a three episode stint. So the episodes are scheduled to air on December thirteenth, January tenth, and either the third episode will either air on the seventeenth or the twenty fourth, depending on whether or not the show is preempted on one of those nights. And of course, these dates mean that the hiatus that we had been reporting might be happening, won't be happening. So that's
3: good news. That's great news. It's interesting that we just had Heather Locklear, Spin City alumni. Now we right. have Michael J. That Fox. Michael J. Fox,
4: yeah. yeah.
3: And of course, I'll, I'll say it again. Mark Valley was a, you know on Spin City as well for one episode. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, it's like you know, I guess Hollywood is a small town.
4: It is. Uh, can everybody I just, knows everybody.
3: It can I just mention something I read? I have to attribute it to an, an online poster who posted over at the Boston Legal Fans Yahoo group uh, it goes by the name of Bizarro7 but I loved it it says this is great Marty McFly meets Daniel Jackson and Captain Kirk these are all futuristic characters that each of those three people Marty McFly from of course Back to the Future that was played by Michael J. Fox Daniel Jackson which was a Spader character and that was in the Stargate. Stargate thank you and Captain Kirk who'd that be
4: That would be Bill Shatner in uh, Star Trek.
3: Why don't you give us a little summary of what the character Michael J. Fox will play?
4: Um, His character will be Daniel Post, and he is, quote-unquote, an extremely wealthy businessman. He's also a lung cancer patient, and he's involved in a pharmaceutical survey study. um, That's according to executive producer Bill Delia, and he uses his influence to make sure he doesn't get placebo. But another participant who finds out sues the company and Post, whom are uh, attorney heroes at, Boston, at the Crane and Schmidt, will represent.
3: Ah, very good. Another pharmaceutical study issue. Remember that from season one.
4: Right. Yeah. Well, that's... I'm sure we'll have some sort of social commentary going on there. With is Dave, did, did David Kelly write this next episode, too?
3: I do not know that.
4: That's... Or those episodes? Well, we'll see. I'm yeah, sure we'll he had see. a hand in it.
3: You know, I, I work part-time for... A huge, enormous worldwide pharmaceutical company. So yeah, I, I help push those drugs.
4: <laughs> anyway,
3: I don't. I don't mind it. Um, an indictment on the industry is fine. <laughs> labs. Okay. Wanted to also share a little bit of news I came across, kind of accidentally. There's a, a site on the web that puts out casting calls for actors that obviously LA wants to want to um, be in movies or TV for little guest parts, and there was a couple for Boston Legal. So this is a foreshadowing of episodes to come. It's kind of sparse on the details, but they call this one Smith and Wesson, which um, I think we've heard a little bit about an episode in the future. I'm not doing any spoilers here. I think it might be also been mentioned in a spoiler, let's see, spoilerfx.com, as an episode called Gone, maybe episode six. So we're a few episodes away from that. But anyway, it says, Please note the following additional roles for Smith and Wesson. Someone in their 30s to 40s, six foot two or taller only, two tough former Navy SEALs who assist Brad, Mark Valley, in apprehending a pedophile. Uh, and I guess the name is Paul Martini. And, oh no, the, I'm sorry, the pedophile's name is Paul Martini. And they ask for open ethnicity.
4: We, now, are there going to be two characters, one named Smith and one named Weston?
3: I don't know. I don't, well, these two characters are looking for, not necessarily Smith and Weston. I think they're more incidental characters. But there is one coming up. If you heard little rumblings about an episode where it's it's the right to bear arms.
4: Right. And, well, yeah, of course, that's what I was trying to get to because okay. of the, the Smith and Wesson, Smith and Wesson obviously yeah. being a gun manufacturer.
3: Exactly. All right. I
4: wasn't sure if that was like a play on that and they had two characters last name Smith and one last name Wesson or if that was just like a little...
3: Well, there is. I went to IMDb and there is a character called just Smith played by Robert Schaefer. And I don't see anything about a Wesson, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Another casting call went out there is for the character Jerry Hans Wexler. <laughs> Jerry Hans Wexler is a mid-30s to early 40s lawyer in the banking and finance department at Pool and Schmidt. Jerry's sole focus is making partner. Unfortunately, he has some personality traits and tics. I.e. He rarely makes eye contact. He has no social skills. He's pedantic and keeps his hands on his thighs at all times, which makes him less than ideal partner material. And that's a possible two-episode reoccurring role. I don't know if these things have been cast, but if you live in L.A. and you think you could handle the hands on the thighs, well, you know where to go. Kyle, what else is in the news?
4: Um, a couple, maybe it was the last podcast, might have been the one before that. We talked about um, William Shatner, who donated his shoes from the Emmy night, and he signed them for a charity called Close Off Our Back, and they auction these items, and the proceeds are given to benefit uh, charities like Hurricane Relief, and a little update with that, um, James Spader has signed a deck of cards backstage at the um, Emmy Awards, where he won his Emmy for Lead Actor in a Drama Series for Boston Legal, and the proceeds from the auction of that signed deck of cards will go to benefit Hurricane Relief as well, so... Go to close off our back. Is it .org or .com? I
3: believe it's .org. .org.
4: That makes sense. .org to um, check out the signed deck of cards signed by James Spader.
3: They have a picture of the deck of cards, in a close-up, and then a picture of him actually signing them at the, I don't know, is it a roulette table or, I don't know, a blackjack table, I guess, that Access Hollywood had set up for the actors. So there you go. Yeah. Okay, well, we know that this is um, an episode about Nemo Bay, and do we all know? Everybody should know by now. It's an actual resort, a luxury luxury resort on Vancouver Island. And I just wanted to fill everybody in, in case you don't remember or missed season one. In season one, episode five, this was back on December 12th, it was called A Greater Good. Denny needed to win a big drunk drug company case. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> we were just talking about yeah. that. Um, so he could make enough money to buy Nemo Bay. He said, quotes, there's a this is, again, from last season. There's this fishing lodge in British Columbia called Nemo Bay. Best fishing lodge in the world. Very expensive. Costs lots of money. I want to buy it. It's in the great bear rainforest. And then here we are. We're talking about it again. So, again, David Kelly ties in those uh, those threads you that we pop up.
4: Dropped a little gem in season one and brought it back up in season two. Although, well, technically, is this still one of the holdover episodes from season one?
3: Yeah, I guess you're, you're right on that.
4: So, <laughs> yeah, there you go.
3: Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the controversies surrounding this episode?
4: Well, obviously, a lot of the stories that David E. Kelly brings into the show tie into real-world issues, and the Nemo Nemo Bay controversy about the salmon is is one of them. The Canadian government has actually pulled print ads promoting tourism to British Columbia in the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times, and the industry trade association for farmed salmon called Salmon of the Americas, S-O-T-A, has some half-page ads scheduled to appear this week in the New York Times, USA Today, Boston Globe, and the San Francisco, San Francisco Chronicle, and the ad incorrectly claims that wild salmon population are rising.
3: Interesting. So, I mean, this is their way of sort of combating what could be negative press for the far- against the farm salmon. I personally actually will always buy farm salmon over wild salmon because it just tastes better. I eat salmon yeah. like probably six times a week here. Wow. Washington State, what can I say? It's, yeah, that's true. I'm
4: not a big salmon eater down oh,
3: here. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you still like the episode, right?
4: Oh, yeah. And uh, of course, the one season one, I think this is the second episode now that they've dealt with salmon's rights at court.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I <laughs> uh, just want to make a quick mention. Welcome to everybody who may be listening to this in New Zealand because they've launched Boston Legal season one over there just, I think, this past week, according to stuff.co.nz so is it okay to say welcome kiwis or is kiwis sort of derogatory i think it's okay right
4: i wouldn't know <laughs> we apologize if we've offended you we're just trying to be nice
3: we just welcome y'all thank yeah. you for coming to the website remember you can um get basically full-on spoilers because we kind of dissect a lot of the episodes that you have not yet seen so just <laughs> warning okay
4: <laughs> yeah don't download anything if you don't, you don't want to be ruined
3: <laughs> that's right Okay, uh, Kyle, it's that time to just i oh, will read the numbers of the
4: ratings. <laughs> okay. We don't a... claim
3: to understand it 100%. But...
4: I have no idea what's going on. Like I, like I said, the last two weeks, it's just a bunch of numbers to me, but hey. We should get
3: someone from Nielsen to come on and just, you know, educate everybody.
4: I don't think there is actually anyone who works at Nielsen. I think it's a ghost organization. <laughs> I think they make those numbers up every week. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um... For the October 11th, 2005 episode, Finding emo, the households were 7.7 out of 12. That was number 5 in the time slot. Um, and for the desired demographic, adults 18 to 49, it was 3.5 share. That was number 8 on the night. And a little tidbit I'd like to add. Um, one year ago, NYPD Blue, in this time slot, um, had households 6.2 out of 10. That was number 6 for the night then, and an adults 18 to 49. 3.1 share, and that was 10th for the night. So
3: they did better at Boston so, Legal. So, yes, there's
4: definitely a year-to-year improvement of Boston Legal over NYPD Blue. And, that's, and that that's... was NYPD Blue's last season, so know. you know, Boston Legal's still on its early legs.
3: Wow. Also, how did it do against the competition for the same time period at 10 o'clock on Tuesday, Boston Legal?
4: Against uh, Law & Order SVU over on NBC. Law & Order posted a 9.6 out of 15, which put NBC on top, which is to be accepted, or expected because Law and Order, SEU is a franchise show, and I mean it's going to get good ratings every week mm-hmm. because it doesn't require much to watch it. I mean, you can watch this episode and then not watch it for six weeks, watch another episode, and not have missed anything.
2: Let
3: me just restate that it doesn't require a lot to watch it. <laughs> An indictment on the, on the. Well, I don't series. mean to
4: criticize anyone who watches the show. I mean it's a good show. I, mean, I love the Law and Order franchise, but. It's not the type of show that requires week-in and week-out following to mm-hmm. to watch each and every episode and understand what's going on.
3: Yeah. Fox actually came even ahead of, what, CBS, I think, because they had the, I guess they had the ALCS that, you know, it's baseball season. Yeah. And then uh, CBS Close to Home, which is the new series, kind of came in fourth, I believe. I, yeah.
4: I I'm sorry. It's I It's a crowded time part.
3: slot. Yeah, it was. It is. Uh, Quickly, I'll just recap everybody who hasn't checked out Boston Legal this week, uh, boston-legal.org, the website. We just put up, um, I spent too much time, like eight hours of updates yesterday, Um, (laughs) the transcription of the entire episode of Finding Nemo. Thank you, I'm a mess. I'm a mess is a wonderful person, a Canadian, actually, who types, listens to the episode, types it all, and then finds remarkable nuggets of information that she then shares with me. It's like... Wow, I didn't know he said that. Do you know that reference is an old show? So a lot of this I get from her. And so definitely go check that out uh, and read Finding Nemo. Uh, There's the Finding Nemo page, which I put up, and there I have the full lyrics of the O Canada song that played famously at the beginning. And um, audio also is now on the site from the 2005 Emmys. I um, I kind of strung together all of Shatner's speaking events surrounding the Emmys, from his acceptance speech to when Star Jones, whatever her last name is, interviewed him on the red carpet, and his, uh, his little talk backstage to the press. So that actually you could get to by clicking the new player. It's a new flash player at the top of the page. Hopefully, it works with a lot of people's browsers. It's flash, so that's on most of the browsers now as the default. So if it doesn't, let me know. Not that I can do anything about it, but I, you know, I, I just want our podcasts and these random sound bites to play. So you can listen to all the sound bites right there without downloading anything. You just listen to it. Another interesting thing, boy, I feel redundant here. Just last week I announced that we had, as far as visitors to the site, on a one-day high, we broke the record that was previously set right after the Emmy win this year. And we did it again on the Wednesday following Boston Legal Tuesday. Uh, That would be October 12th. Huge numbers, uh, 2,500 more visitors than... The second highest day, which was right after schadenfreude. So that was great. We're just getting more and more people coming to listen. And I just thought I'd look at some of the stats of where people are coming from when they come to listen. Obviously, United States has the preponderance of visitors at 68%. Australia is second. second. Canada is third. And I've had actually, I've seen a lot of IPs coming from Canada. Surprise. I think we know why. Mm, that was... Especially with this episode. Exactly. That Canada. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, number four, uh, United Kingdom. Number five, Japan. Number six, Germany. Seven, Sweden. Number eight, most visited or country most visited is Singapore, and then Finland and Brazil. So that was nice interesting. Nice
4: little international thing you got going on there.
3: Yeah, and I just found this stat today. This was interesting. This is really not related to Boston Legal, but do you know how many um, domain names, websites there are out there? I think you do because I told you. Why don't you? Oh well, yeah, it? I
4: have the number here. <laughs> you have. Uh, Seventy-five million.
3: Yeah, amazing. And just ten years ago, nineteen ninety-five, the internet was just starting. How many were there?
4: Only eighteen thousand nine hundred fifty-seven. That's a huge explosion
3: in ten years. Amazing. There's a, there was just in this year alone, just so far this year, seventeen million new websites, new domain names have been added. It's always fun. Grab a domain name if you can think of it, because they go and you know you can own them for about nine bucks a year, and you know if. If you don't get it, you know, because you know, actually, when I went to go register Boston Legal, uh, the website I wanted Boston Legal, I didn't want the dash, but there were actually Boston attorney at law firms that had already grabbed that. <laughs> oh, that- but it's interesting when I tried it with Boston Dash Legal, the .dot com. I think well, no, that's right. The .dot com was taken by a law firm. I tried .dot net, which is always a nice thing to get, and like one day before. It had been registered by Ustinka.com, which is the David E. Kelly production company. So they had registered boston-legal.net. So I took the next available, you know, boston-legal.org. Which is where you can
4: find her now.
3: Yeah, that's right. They've not done anything with boston-legal.net. I suppose they wanted to, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, They're just
4: holding on to it. It's like real estate.
3: Yeah, yeah, protect it. I just wanted to remind everybody we want to hear from you. We want to hear... Your sound bites, you know, if you want to call in with our phone number and uh, leave your thoughts in the episode. I got four calls this week. That was great. So I'm going to actually play them really fast here, and we can comment on them. The first one starts with a question. See if we can
4: answer this. Yes, my name is Susan. On last night's show on Boston Legal, when Betty White was talking to the detective, warning him uh, about the guy she was going to kill, was that Detective Larry Parker? He's an all-time movie star. He played the lead in the Al Nelson story. And I would swear that was Larry Parks. Uh, somebody else is telling me I'm wrong. I would really like to know who, and, and, what, and his name was not listed
3: on the credits. <laughs> Susan, you're wrong. <laughs> she wanted to know if that detective that questioned Catherine Piper was Larry Parks. You just have to go to imdb.com, Susan, and you can get it there. And Detective John Stevenson is played by John Thaddeus. And John is, I don't know, I'm trying to remember, I think he's quite a history. I think he's been used a few times in David E. Kelly shows. So it's interesting. Did you have anything to add to that?
4: No, I just thought that good for good for her. You have a question like that, go ahead and call us in. Yeah. We want to, and we want to hear what you have to say.
3: Listen to the podcast for the answer, because this is the one of the women that just practically demanded I call her right back. You know, she left <laughs> her number like three times, and I just can't do that, you know. But listen to the show. We'll answer it. Yes, we will. Here's another one. Sorry for the quality. I don't know, the phone was acting up. <laughs>
4: this is uh, Dirk from uh, Toledo, Ohio. I just wanted to say about Boston Legal, I thought that bit with the cello on the witness stand was brilliant. I, I love the cello very much. That was re- extremely well written. Okay, thanks.
3: <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> cello fan there.
4: I like the scene too. <laughs>
3: That's good. All right, uh, we got it two from Lenny from Washington. I, I gotta find Lenny if you're listening. Email me sometime because we're neighbors, you know, Washington. So let's hear what he has to say. Hey,
4: Dana. this is Lenny from Washington State, and so, want let you know I enjoy your website on Boston Legal and enjoy your podcast. And I just want to say that the, I'm a big fan of, of the show. Love the Spader and Shatner can't get enough of it, and we will be crushed if it, uh, gets canceled, and that would suck. But, uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, keep up the good work. Really enjoy your show. Awesome. we go roll. See Bye.
3: It would suck.
4: It would suck.
3: And then Lenny called back with an idea.
4: This is, uh, Lenny again from Washington State. Uh, just listening to your podcast once again, and you were mentioning, uh, some of the guest stars that you'd like to see on Boston Legal. I'm thinking uh, two, actually. Um, one would be uh, Tom Cavanaugh from Ed, because I think that would be kind of cool if Tom Cavanaugh would, would play a, a client of uh, Julia Boland, because uh, uh, Ed, he played a lawyer, so the tables would be turned this time. So I thought that would be kind of interesting. And also, uh, maybe John Larroquette could be cast as, actually, as Dan Fielding. That would be kind of a weird twist that he comes in as as, uh, Dan Fielding from Night Court. And he plays a lawyer and goes up against uh, Alan Shore. That would be interesting, too, because of John Laverquette's witness uh, in that role and and, uh, some kind of attitude as Bader. Um, Just some thought, and really enjoyed your podcast. Thanks.
3: All right. Well, actually, I would love to see Tom Cavanaugh. He's guest starring here and there, wasn't he on... Um...
4: He's on Scrubs.
3: Scrubs, thank you. <laughs> it was almost in my mind.
4: Which um, I would love to see uh, Zach Braff from Scrubs on yes. the show, too. Yes, I would. They be. play brothers on Scrubs, and I think the same guy who executive produced and created Scrubs also executive produced and created Spin City, which... Obviously, we know David E. has been recruiting Spin City actors, so you never know.
3: <laughs> oh, interesting. I did another tie-in. Oh, yeah.
4: Yeah, I think it's Bill Lawrence. You'd have to double-check me, but I think he's executive producer and creator on both of those shows.
3: Yep. All right. That's so cool. I also wanted to read a quick email. You can certainly email if you don't want to call in, and you know, actually, with the quality of my phone, I do apologize. Maybe maybe email's better. <laughs> but uh, we heard from Alan from New Jersey, and he says he like everybody's intrigued with this question. Who'd like to see casting? So I hope that the casting directors listen to this and get some ideas from it. Wouldn't that be great? It would be. He says I think that Leonard Nimoy would be an exciting guest for Boston Legal. Leonard Nimoy has a was a guest star in another William Shatner TV show, T.J. Hooker. I didn't know that.
4: I didn't know that either.
3: Yeah, I think that many Shatner fans would enjoy seeing the two of them together again on the small screen. I like when an actor that Shatner used to work with is on the show. Most notably, Candace Bergen joined the show. They were in that film, Miss Congeniality. Also, Heather Locklear and Shatner worked together in T.J. Hooker. Boston Legal's getting more recognition. Also, he says on another note, he says, on the Doogie Hauser MD Season 2 DVD set, which came out uh, in the first of the month, it listed David E. Kelly, who wrote and, I guess, produced Doogie Hauser, right? Thank you. It is the, uh, was the, co- well, actually he's, a, it just says right here. Uh, Ellen, thank you. I didn't know my facts. He says, David e. Kelly is the co-creator of the show, Doogie Howser. In parentheses, it lists a few of David e. Kelly's other shows. It lists them in this order. Boston Legal, Ally McBeal, The Practice. Boston Legal must be doing pretty good for them to put it on the back of the Doogie Howser box. <laughs>
4: Well, yeah. Uh, It could be that it's also the most recent show that he's been on, so it's probably got the best recognition, but hey.
3: That's all good. He has actually a word for you, Kyle. He says, I too miss the old TV Tome site. Just yesterday I was looking for information about a TV show. Couldn't find it. Went to the internet. There's no TV Tome. It redirects you to TV.com, and it's not the same.
4: It isn't. It's Uh not the same at all.
3: Finally, I want to play one call that I had. Um, This is very centrically oriented to Finding Nemo. We heard a little bit from Deb from Montreal last week, and by now I should have put up a longer conversation with her. She loves to look for those connections between Boston Legal and Star Trek. So we've called this little series that we have with her, and she'll be checking in as she finds them, The Parallel Universe Trek in the Courtroom. And she's found several instances within Finding Nemo, not the least of which was the Klingon reference. That's only the beginning. Well, after watching Finding Nemo on October 11, Deb from Montreal wrote me, and she found some connotations that were very similar coincidences to Star Trek. Now, Deb has been gracious enough to share a lot of similarities that she's found, and you can listen to a much longer version, a conversation that we had with her about the overall Star Trek versus Boston legal similarities which we call the parallel universe trek in the courtroom but thank you Deb for calling back I really appreciate it
1: Uh, my pleasure Dana it's nice to be in conversation with you again
3: how is everything up in Montreal
1: rainy (laughs) but pleasant
3: (laughs) oh that's good not necessarily diametrically opposed that's right first of all Nemo excellent episode wasn't it
1: it was it was a hoot and it was reminiscent of uh, you know Kirk of the old days in in many ways
3: Now you brought up, right off the bat, one of the Star Trek movies that has a very famous opening scene. Why don't you explain that and tell us the similarities with Finding Nemo? Uh,
1: yeah, it's Star Trek V. It's called uh, The Final Frontier. It's not the opening scene, but it's the second scene uh, where we find uh, the heroes, Kirk McCoy and Spock, camping uh, in Yosemite Park. It, it kind of illustrates uh, uh, Shatner's Um, alter ego as being an outdoors person, or an outdoorsman. Mm -hmm. And we know that in Boston Legal, we we know that he's a skeet shooter, (laughs) (laughs) and now we know he's a fisherman. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But in Star Trek V, we see him camping, and a lot of the camping seems to introduce Spock to the pleasures of nature. Now, why is that familiar? Yeah. (laughs) Because we see Crane introducing Shore to the uh, uh, joys of nature and fishing in particular, of which he is not familiar or has absolutely no experience whatsoever.
3: And now, as I recall, back in the Star Trek movie, Spock was very reticent about it. He wasn't sure that it seemed logical to be camping, sleeping in the ground and all that. And Shore was just queasy, even just flying in a helicopter into this remote location.
1: And outright says he hates nature. Yes, Yes. You know, but, in the end, but in the end, exactly. In the end he, he comes to terms with, you know, the the spiritual renewal that, you know, nature can, can bring a person when, when they're, you know, out there in the fresh air and, you know, God's country.
3: Do you remember some of the dialogue from that? And I know that you do because you shared some of
1: it with me earlier. From, from the movie.
3: From the movie. And some of yeah. the similarities.
1: There was a conversation that took place uh, while they were camping. Kirk was rescued when he fell off the cliff by Spock and McCoy confronts him and says you could have almost died and uh Kirk responds by saying I knew I wasn't going to die because I wasn't alone and I and I always knew that I would die alone and that element of loneliness or being alone is something that you know Crane uh brings up to shore when they are actually uh in the cottage together.
3: Mm-hmm. In fact, let's hear just a little soundbite from finding Nemo that references just what you said.
0: What scares you most in life, Dunny? I told you. Uh, I got the mad cow and my penis only works on medication. Yes, besides that. Dying? I've died many times. Can we talk about something other than sex?
1: Such great right. <laughs> right, you know, I, I've... Um, in the episode, Finding Nemo, he, it's like, you know, I've died many times as though, you know, people will often think that, that I've died and gone to hem- heaven after they've had great sex. <laughs> if you know Shatner and you know his former character, Kirk, he has died at least, as far as I know, three times. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, he, he died in one of the original episodes where McCoy actually fakes his death. Or he actually, you know, injects him and makes him die and then brings him back to life via another injection. That was, probably the first instance. instance. And the second instance is um, he dies alone. He dies alone when he goes to fixed engine on the Enterprise B, and he's blown out into space and is probably drawn into this spatial anomaly called the Nexus where time does not exist. And then in a later movie called Generations, Picard goes back to the Nexus and brings Kirk out of the Nexus to fight a madman. His name is Soren. And there's a hand-to-hand battle, in which case he dies on the mountainside. And his last words was, it was fun. Mm. So that was the third time he dies. If you really you want to go beyond (laughs) the Trek movies and the Trek uh, um, uh, videos... You will also have the books, and one of them was written by William Shatner called "The Ashes to Eden, where he is brought back to life yet again. So there's a lot of <laughs> reincarnation. <died> <laughs> there's a lot of reincarnation going on in Trek. <laughs> it's a good theme. No, okay. and, and the reincarnation theme again is prevalent in that scene because uh, Shore tells Crane that he was murdered in his past life.
3: He believes he died in his sleep. He was murdered, actually. You're right. He was
1: murdered in his sleep. And so, again, there's that element Reference. of reincarnation and dying previously and coming back to life. I love William Shatner's uh, response that you're wacko. <laughs>
3: <laughs> also in Star Trek, The Final Frontier, that movie... That started out with the Yosemite scene. They were all camping, and you related, you reminded me of this because it's been years.
1: Uh-huh. The bean all... scene, exactly. yeah. But, you know, they're introducing um, Spock to some of the camp elements of camping, uh, singing, uh, sing along, scary stories, beans, beans, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and you know, they mentioned you know whether Spock's constitution can handle the the exploding <laughs> mixture of beans and whiskey together, which was McCoy's family recipe or something like that. Again, you know, there's a fart team. (laughs) 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 I can't stop thinking about it and laughing at the same time. (laughs) And McCoy says, are you
3: kidding? With that Vulcan metabolism, he could eat a bowl of termites and it wouldn't bother him.
1: (laughs) I think that it's not exactly parallel, but it's certainly one is reminiscent of the other.
3: It is. And we do know, in case anybody has not heard of Finding Nemo, and I say heard accurately, there is that scene as they the lights go out and there seems to be a, a noise emanating from Denny Crane. And he just says, you know, don't be offended. Don't take it personally. Don't keeps take away, it personally. Keeps away the bad dreams. Right? Yeah, it keeps
1: away the bad dreams. <laughs> uh,
3: now, it brings us to, I don't know if it's the final parallel. There's certainly, well, actually, there let's state, first of all, the obvious one. In that same scene when they're getting ready for bed in their little cabin, in their twin beds, Shore is reading a book that talks about the salmon and why the wild salmon are being
1: sustained upon the sea yeah
3: okay oh, very good that was the name of the book he was reading and what does he share with denny from that
1: book uh he he that the nickname for the sea lice is klingons and of course crane looks back at him and says did you say klingons <laughs> and klingons being the arch enemy of uh the federation in star trek
3: and that's of course that's the one that everybody's going to get they have no idea how really that's just the obvious one yeah that's just the obvious one <laughs> All right. One more comparison, I believe, at least there's probably more that I'm not aware of, you can tell me. When uh, there was a reference in Finding Nemo about godfishes, and why don't you relate the Finding Nemo piece, and then I'm going to play some couple of sound bites that you sent me from Star Trek, and then you can talk about it a bit.
1: Yeah, god is a running scene in, 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 uh, in Boston Legal, and in the beginning he explains to Shore he wants to take him to the Great Bear Lake, which up in Canada we refer to that beautiful area of Canada as God's country.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The references to uh, going fishing, and then you know, Spader looks back at uh, Shatner and says, "God fishes," you know, <laughs> as if you know God engages in these mundane activities that humans <laughs> do. Well, that also ha- takes place in the final frontier here uh, when they actually go to the. This- planet to confront who they think is God, and, you know, the sound bites are kind of self-explanatory because this entity is asking for the starship, and then God looks at the entity and says, what does God need with a starship? Let's hear that. And Excuse me, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need with a starship?
3: That's great.
1: Yeah, and McCoy, McCoy actually, you know, sort of like elbows Kirk and says... You don't ask God for his ID. Jim,
4: you don't ask the Almighty for his ID.
1: <laughs> Very impertinent. Yeah, well, in, in a way, but that's only because, you know, at that particular moment, you know, Kirk doesn't believe he's actually confronting God. Mm-hmm. He knows that this is an imposter.
3: And then finally, let me play this one. Well, don't just stand there.
1: God's a busy man. Yeah, that happened a little earlier uh, when when they actually head off to the Great Barrier. The Great Barrier, the Great Bear Lake.
3: Oh, that's true. Another interesting coincidence. Or
1: not. Just a play on words, maybe. I'm not sure. And,
3: of course, I'm remembering you did mention that God being very casual in his relationship with Crane Poole and Schmidt's firm <laughs> is a running theme. And I remember season one when they were on the balcony and said something like, this is a blue state. God has no... no uh, Reason to be. Massachusetts yeah, no reason like to be here. God does not recognize blue State. Something like that, I don't know. God's yeah, conservative. Like,
1: well, as, as though, you know, they know firsthand, right? Yeah,
3: exactly. He talks to God all the time. All the time. Um, all right, well, um, is there any other that have popped up before we move back into Finding Nemo as, the, as our conversation with Kyle continues? Any other things you can think of?
1: No, it, it, you know, I just kind of think that, you know, uh, Shatner... Uh, when he directed The Final Frontier, probably had a lot of influence on how his character was written as an outdoorsman. And I find that, you know, in this particular episode, we see once again Shatner playing when he's not in the courtroom or in his office. He's an outdoors person. Mm-hmm. Something that he draws on from real life experience.
3: Well, and actually, in the Final Frontier, they were called out of the wilderness. You know, out of Yosemite when they were called to settle the intergalactic um, emergency. Just so and some- they're
1: also called out of the wilderness because they wanted to go to Port Port Elliot, was it, to to speak as friends of the court? Oh, uh, Port
3: McNeil, yes,
1: Port Port McNeil, and, and they wanted to do that as well. They wanted to go and and and. Uh, and uh, uh, Get called into the wilderness and, and go do their regular jobs as lawyers. That's right.
3: And I thought yeah. it was interesting, and you pointed this out that they were in the final frontier; they were on shore leave. You know, That's I'll right. let everybody draw that conclusion. <laughs> oh, good one, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. This is really great, Deb. I hope that uh, well, is these, of course, a new episode, new possibilities, right? Yeah. All right, we're going to have you back. Thank you very much. Okay, next time, Kyle. It's time.
4: Let's move on into the episode, Finding Nemo.
3: Only a few storylines this time.
4: A little condensed compared to last week. We had four last week or five even, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, This week, third episode of season two, Finding Nemo, we had a few storylines going on. We had uh, Alan and Denny fishing at Nemo Bay up in Canada. We had Garrett and Sarah (laughs) um, working on the uh, case with uh, the, the clergyman, Reverend did them yep. and we had tara and Alan's not so hallmark moment with um, what happened with their relationship in this episode and it was written by david e kelly i think that's the third episode in the row mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was directed by mike listo
3: very good well let's start out with a soundbite shall we i think let's... this sets up that moment very well
5: Especially helicopters. I don't understand the aerodynamics.
0: And I'm feeling quite inclined to vomit. There's fish down there, man. Uh, in that case. Let's go to Canada. Let's Canada. i Coming up to it. Look, there. The had Explorer.
2: There it is. Nemo Bay. They're surrendering.
5: Do they think we're attacking? That's how they welcome the
2: guests.
5: Denny, this may not be the time,
2: but
5: I hate nature.
3: And actually, I wish they just extended the song a little bit longer but you, again you can find all the lyrics at the website but the final the next last line actually refers to oh yeah did, did i mention that shatner's from here so <laughs> <laughs> this song was not written for boston legal it's been around anyway, it cool.
4: whoever found it good job to them for using it on the show it's nice little time
3: it was a good yeah maple leaf state music was used elsewhere when he actually when did he first proposed the fishing trip they started playing the music from deliverance
4: Yeah, the little deliverance theme.
3: The little banjo music.
4: (laughs) That's
3: That's great. (laughs) So, you know, were there any favorite parts of this whole Nemo expedition that you have? Any particular moments that you want to kind of call out?
4: I just, (laughs) well, later on I'm going to talk about a good portion of this storyline in in The Good, Bad and the Ugly because there are a lot of really funny scenes, a lot of really good scenes. And there's one particular ugly scene, which I'll talk about. At the end, but um I just thought it was really hilarious, the whole setup with, uh, Alan and Denny taking off to Canada, taking off to Canada of all places. <laughs> and the writing on this episode was just so clever. It was, it was really funny to listen to, um some of the lines that came out of the character's mouth, like, um, when, uh, Alan was catching all sorts of fish. And, I think this is in the preview, and he turns to Danny and says, you should really try catching one. <laughs> and just the, the whole, it was really funny to see them together in a setting other than the law office in, in Boston. I think it was, you take the two characters out of that setting, you put them in a new place, and you have all this new, new uh, interaction you can draw from, and we saw that in this
3: episode. I did it. I, did. <laughs> I just laughed because I'm just reading some of the lines from it. And and then the little quips, like, at one point they're sitting on the dock and kind of dissecting the day, or, you know, actually Denny's having a cigar in his scotch. He's very happy. And uh, he's pontificating about, you know, he doesn't really care about environment or anything. And, Shore, not really dumbfounded because he knows Denny by now, but he just basically comments, all reality, none of it's scripted.
4: <laughs> <I> <laughs> well, it. He said something like... Uh... I came here to see nature. I don't care about the environment.
3: <laughs> that was great.
4: And also um, with a guide who's trying to teach, Alan how to cast, and he's like, "It was a ten and two or ten and 4. and Alan's like, "Stop with the time."
2: <laughs> oh, and he's
4: I like, "Make that. up your mind what what time it is." <laughs>
3: <laughs> the concept of you know where to put your rod <laughs> you know i do remember i actually got an email from someone i shouldn't probably disclose this fully because they did say not to she worked in a colorado fishing sort of camp thing you know what they do these private tours and uh, actually hosted <clears throat> a certain creator of a certain tv show and his brother and his wife michelle so <laughs> if you can draw the conclusion there so obviously david e kelly is a big fan of the fishing resorts i guess yeah he must this probably is just part of him Bleeding through He writes about yep. what he knows
4: That's He's following what he, it, following he, it through The character of Denny
3: Yeah, that's right that's, And he does always say When people say How do I write What's the best way to write for?" Top-? Just write about what you know What's real to you Yep Alright, time for another soundbite This is just classic It's very short But very good
2: Oh my god
0: This book A Stain Upon the Sea It's all about these sea lice Interesting they call them Klingons. Did you say Klingons? They really could wipe out salmon if something isn't done. Of
3: course, a little Star Trek reference there. Yeah, that's right. Actually, the scene goes on from there. Let me play some more of this. It's priceless.
0: What's the worst-case scenario? They're extinct in 20 years or so? I'm 72, Probably extinct in 10. What do I care? <laughs> that would be humorous if so many people didn't think exactly that way. When does the male bonding part come in on this trip? I'm not into the Canadian weenie welding. What scares you most in life, Danny? I told you. Uh, I got the mad cow. (laughs) And my penis only works on medication. Yes, besides that. Dying? I've died many times. Can we talk about something other than sex? What about you? What scares you? Being alone, I guess. Don't get me wrong, I love solitude. I like it best in relationships. It's going to feel strange not having Tara on my bed. I've always had this feeling, and I've never shared it with anybody, but I'm convinced in a past life I was murdered in my sleep. You're a wacko. I'm trying to be vulnerable here. Could you toss me a bone, give me something? I know what you're doing. And I'm not sleeping with you. Forget about it. Turn off the light. and I get in my bone. Don't take this personally. It keeps away the bad dreams. Understood. <laughs> Danny? Mm really
3: glad we did this. Me too. A little owl at the end. <laughs> it starts <laughs> with the owl and ends with the owl. And there's,
4: It's so funny.
3: I know. I can see Danny Lux, who's like the scorer of the episodes, playing his little banjo from the corner. <laughs> yeah. And, the,
4: and the, the paradox that is Alan Shore. I like solitude and I like it best in relationships. Oh. It makes no sense whatsoever, but somehow coming out of his mouth, it does.
3: At this point, uh, Alan's transitioning into being very happy with nature. Well, I mean, you know, he still has his fears, right?
4: Yeah. But well, I mean, when you're catching as many fishes as he is, and you're having as much fun as he is rubbing it in Denny's face, I'm sure you're going to be in love with nature.
3: Can I just point out, visually, he was wearing his boxers, his raccoon hat, which was pretty much ubiquitous throughout the episode, it seemed like. Yeah, it was. <laughs> he loved it. And you can see the video of this particular scene right on the org. Can I just say, I couldn't hold back the laugh again at call me politically incorrect but when he says well you know i got the mad cow you know he's bringing that up again and i just find that just so funny and i got two emails this week from two different people quite upset about the casual uh, fun being had at the expense of the people that suffer from i can't say it's like uh, it's the mad cow disease but there's a proper name for it Crushfold Reinholz, reinholds i don't know something like that and They've had both these people actually reference, like a family member that has passed away from it. And it was and it is really tragic, and they would like to see David Kelly treated more somberly. I think he did in season one, though, in the "Till We Meet Again" episode.
4: I don't think it's so much the fact that David Kelly's Kelly's doing, doing it through Denny Crane, who has always been a little bit of a, you know, a character of a of a person, not mm-hmm. actually a real person, but someone we like to watch on TV. So, mm-hmm. don't take offense to it. I don't think he's doing it to, mm-hmm. you know, trivialize the disease.
3: I'm sure we will start to see Denny and have more um, serious moments with his struggle that he's going through, and I think that'll be a way to sort of let us all see this—not something to poke fun at. Right. That's one way to deal with. I mean, famously, what Norman Cousins said, "Hey, laughter is the best cure of all. Right.
4: Right. Anyway, so deal with serious situations
3: yeah. through laughter. Well, um, I do want to play <laughs> a fishing scene. Now, this is this is filmed out there. Actually, they're standing in waders in a real river. I probably shouldn't set it up like this, but just listen, does it sound a little bit like they've overdubbed they dubbed it later in a studio because it just has that sort of closed in smell, even I mean sound. Even though you can you can hear the water and stuff, but it just doesn't quite sound like it's an on location, which hey, I ran a recording studio. I know what it's like to have bad audio. <laughs> Do what you can. Hey Denny!
2: You might want to speed up your retrieve.
0: Yeah, shut up. Ugh. Fight it right in front of your mouth. Eat it! You miserable bastard. This one
5: came in quickly. Maybe word got out I don't eat them. I must be up to 15 by now. Not that I'm counting. Denny certainly isn't.
0: Picture? Why not? Couldn't be closer to your mouth. Oh, it's a steelhead. You got a steelhead. It's more beautiful than the next. Don't squeeze them too tight. You miserable God,
5: these are strong. They really are extraordinarily beautiful creatures. Ah!
2: Got one!
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. If you can't figure out the sound of a shotgun, that's what it was.
4: Danny <laughs> couldn't take being beaten by Alan any longer. No.
3: So theoretically, the score was 15 to 1. You know, True. It wasn't to a
4: shutout. <laughs> that
3: was important. And of course, the, the guide was just saying, you want a picture? Sure. You know. And they end up, even though Denny has put in a timeout for his bad behavior in the river, <laughs> uh, they do pose for a picture. And you, you, can, you can see this on my website. It's the picture of Shore holding a, this enormous salmon. And then... Denny looking just as proud, holding the head of his, the rest of the body having been blown off, <laughs> the entrails just hanging from it.
4: I think uh, no one else would have come up with uh, that other than Denny. I mean, that's more than a competitive streak. That's like a competitive—I don't know what the word for it would be—but he he couldn't take that anymore from Allen, and Alan was rubbing it in more than he needed to be.
3: You know, then he only- did what
4: he had to do to catch a fish. I don't think he thought he did anything wrong.
3: Well, there was the, I don't know, the preachy part of the episode, of the storyline, and that's about the environment. So we're going to end on a couple more soundbites just on what, besides the fun and games they had out in the wilderness, (laughs) they actually became lawyers at some point.
0: How many did you catch? I didn't fish. Ah, so that would put you about even with Denny. I'm sorry, are you Denny Crane? I am, and I'm not your father.
5: I'm Peter Barrett. I'm an attorney, actually, and I'm a big admirer.
0: Fine, I'm still not your father.
5: You're a salmon fisher, Mr. Crane. I
0: catch him in my sleep. That
5: must be the only place he catches them.
0: I see why Tara dumped you. I'm about to.
5: There's no Tara. Don't be deceived. Jenny and
0: I are lovers. I'm a heterosexual, and I catch salmon like one. Well, you won't be catching them for long, I'm afraid. Wild Pacific salmon are being wiped out. What are you
5: talking about? Sea lice are killing them. The weight of evidence points toward the fish farms. Fish farm? The penned fish and the fish farms host the lice, which attach themselves to the baby wild salmon migrating past the pens, and it's destroying them. I'm actually here because I'm going into court in Port McNeil tomorrow to try to enjoin another fish farm from going in.
0: Boy, would I love to go in with thee, Denny Crane, by my side. You one of those environmental lawyers? Is there something wrong with that? They're evildoers. Yesterday it's a tree, today it's a salmon, tomorrow it's let's not dig up Alaska for oil because it's too pretty. Let me tell you something, I came out here to enjoy nature, don't talk to me about the environment. All reality, none of it scripted.
3: There you go, I just <laughs> want to point out that the environmental lawyer who does you know, not sound Canadian whatsoever No, (laughs) (laughs) is, uh, is Peter, actually Jeremy Davidson. He plays Peter Barrett, Barrett, I guess. Thank goodness. I I always try and go to, you taught me this, go to IMDb, check out what their pedigree is. And, uh, he's got several guest appearances. He's worked with David E. Kelly a lot in the past. He was actually in, um, what is that? Allie McBeal. He was in a couple episodes McBeal, and I didn't reference this one. What is this one from? Oh, The Practice in Good Conscience. That was in season eight in Good Conscience. Yeah, it was. So he played Dr. Robert Platt. So they keep coming back.
4: They do. Well, David E. likes jury. He, he likes.
3: May I point out something that I'm a mess emailed me about? Now, this is I'm a mess, is the, the code name for the girl that writes the transcripts and is just an avid, avid Boston legal fan, lives in Canada. And since she Really transcribes all these episodes. She sees things we don't, ties them to past. And it was one point um within this storyline that Denny Crane goes, "What's your point?" to Alan Shore, and Alan Shore says, "My point is, uh, given these the salmon, there's a hearing that's going to be in Port Mill. We need to go be lawyers now." And so then she picked up that whole, "What's your point? What the point is?" and pulled out several other times that that's been like part of the dialogue between those two. So I guess. The point thread is what we would call this. So huh. I, I find these things fascinating. Anybody else who sees these things, definitely, you'll have a forum right here. Yeah. So I guess in season one, at one point out on the balcony scene, actually, um, in head cases, Diddy Crane goes, uh, have you read the book? One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Alan Sharp goes, yes. Silence. Nobody says anything. Is there a point or do you just want to know if I'd read it? Dini says, <laughs> <Jenny goes, laughs> there you go. Looking for a point again. <laughs> another scene, um, Denny brings up that he's looking for a point in the issue and says, I don't ask, that's the point. I don't know. This is She actually referenced several things that we talked about what the point is.
4: So, Who knows if that's intentional or
3: coincidental. Or just, yeah, random craziness in our Boston legal absorbed minds.
4: Sometimes I think we analyze it too much.
3: Okay. All right. Uh, one more soundbite. This is the famous, well, set it up. It's the courtroom scene. Why don't you set it up a little bit?
4: Alan and Denny first are walking into the Canadian court after after Alan called Tara to make sure there weren't any protocol he needed to follow for being present in the Canadian court, and that involved interesting dress. And uh, they go in and give the court a piece of their mind on the issue with the famine and, and in an amusing way, so we'll hear that. Greetings, all
0: oh Canada. Denny Green.
5: Good morning, my lord. My name is Alan Shore. Mr. Crane and I are attorneys from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. We seek permission to be heard on this issue as friends of the court. Mr. Shore, we don't wear wigs in Canada. Oh. Nor do we wear waders. Uh, my lord, we've just spent the last two days in your rivers, in your countryside. It is the most spectacular nature I have ever seen. And the fish... They are enough to make one believe in a higher power. Yes, how many of the higher power's creations did you torture? Fifteen! Then he didn't catch any. I get your implication, Judge, and I acknowledge the hypocrisy of the fisherman pleading for the survival of a species only so that he'll be able to continue dragging them to shore by the lip in perpetuity. But causing a fish discomfiture and causing it to become extinct are two very different things. And when talking about the Pacific salmon, this is a species that goes back to the Ice Age. One that is born on a river, migrates up to 2,000 miles in the sea, then returns to the very place of birth to spawn against enormous, miraculous awe, bringing nutrients on its journey to sustain the bald eagles, the grizzly bears, the wolves, even the rainforests themselves. An entire coastal ecosystem depends on them. If Charlotte the spider were still alive today, she'd be writing in her web, some fish. Yes, well, forgive me, but I find it insulting to be
0: lectured by an American on the environment. Watch it, Judge. We're a superpower. It'll make us add you to the axis.
5: Being from the United States, I have an expertise on the issue. Do you? Yes. Remember... We're the country that's practically wiped the grizzly bear off our maps. We got rid of bull trout. To see a Florida panther, you have to go to a hockey game. We seek to count hatchery salmon as wild. So the numbers go up and we can take the actual wild salmon off the endangered species list. Almost a hundred different bird and animal species have gone extinct in the last 30 years. While our national policy remains, it's not a priority. I know all about economic interests trumping the environment. And truthfully, if we were talking about the Virgin Island screech owl or the Fresno kangaroo, I might not care, but this is the Pacific salmon. The sea lice are killing them. Once they're gone, Judge, my God,
2: they're gone.
3: A moving speech. Very it impassioned. Was? And in fact, at the very end of the episode, not in this scene, he turns to Denny as a way of thanking them and says, you've occasioned a cynical urban man to feel passion for a fish. I, don't- I thought that was- that was such a Alan Shore way of putting it, too. Yeah. It was. And, of course, they do leave the court with two very significant words. Two or three? Um, do, you, do you know of three?
4: Well, I mean, he said it was two, but then he added a little uh, Canadian add-on at the end there.
3: Ah, okay, very good. And those were, because I don't have a soundbite for that.
4: They wanted to, Obviously, then he didn't say anything throughout the, that entire little speech by Alan to the court. And then, of course, he has to end it with, a little Denny Crane, eh? Hey,
3: okay. That okay.
4: yeah, it made sense to, you know, we're, we're in Canada now, so we have to use the stereotypical Canadian word.
3: Speaking of words, I, I'm such a word freak. Um, I like that he used the word discomfiture, that you caused our fish. And of course, the, the the reference, the literary reference to Charlotte's Web was great.
4: I it was. It well, some I, pig, it was some fish.
3: Oh, that's right. Oh, some pig. You have read Charlotte's Web.
4: Oh, how can you not have? All
3: right, but you remember it. That's great. Yeah. All right, let's. Uh, let's unfortunately move on from Nemo because we've got two, two, three other storylines that we're going to have to just charge through if we're going to keep this thing under an hour.
4: Yeah, no kidding. That's partly my fault.
3: No, it, no, it's not. I'm the one doing all the chat.
4: You want to go to the Catherine Piper storyline?
3: Let's do that. Let's start out. Well, Catherine will set it up because she goes to play a visit to Shirley Schmidt. Hello.
6: May I help you? Well, I... uh, I may have a situation. Okay. I had befriended a man, Bernard Farrion, a seemingly benign little person who had killed both his mother and neighbor. This firm represented him. Alan got him off both times. Are you aware of any of this? some. Well, at his core, I maintained that Bernard was not evil, which is I suppose in part why I befriended him. But I suddenly became convinced he was evil and would kill again. I went to the police and revealed some things that may have been privileged. I'm sorry about that, but my conscience... <sighs> Anyway, the police said little could be done, which stunned me, of course. Well, I became horrified, I suppose, at the prospect of of Bernard taking more human life. And? I killed him. What do you mean, you killed him? I bludgeoned him with his own skillet. And now the police are asking questions, and I I don't know what to do. Catherine, you killed a man? Yes, dear. If only your prolonged staring could bring him back.
3: (laughs) I'm going to miss her, man, if she doesn't hang around. She's fantastic.
4: And it was interesting to see her go to Shirley about this. Of all the people she go to, she goes to the one, like we mentioned before, that she had sucked up to previously. Even though she's asking for Alan as her lawyer, she's the one she she brings the problem to at first.
3: That's right. Actually, Shirley kind of grasps on and moves forward fairly quickly after that. She's like, okay, you know, let's now deal with this issue. And she shepherds her pretty well through the situation until Alan can return. And that will be concluded next week.
4: And it's kind of the opposite of uh, the way Paul Lewis had reacted to the news that she had killed. Bernard Ferriant, whereas Shirley heard it had to have it repeated once and then she was like, Okay, this is what we're gonna do. Paul couldn't quite grasp that um, she had killed a client. I think he asked a few more than once, he's dead? And then Shirley had that line, she killed him, he's dead. Can we move on?
3: Everybody was kinda like shocked, I guess, about Paul's just like, We gotta think of the firm first.
4: You know, we to right. do what's
3: right. You know, was I wrong in this, but I think when they go before court, wasn't that Judge Harry Higgum? listening to her case like will he be handling the case next week
4: would... i would assume so if he was here then yeah i would i would expect him to be there in the future as well
3: i may have gotten confused with which judge i think he's the only judge that appears in this episode i right i don't think anybody else makes it to court that's other than yeah. the
4: canadian judge which no, obviously we haven't seen before <laughs> that's
3: right and harry hangham was if you remember last season i know you do yeah just to remind everybody that was the gay santa claus episode <laughs> loose lips <laughs> Uh, episode 8 And he was the one That was rather old guy And he's like It's a gay Santa You know That's a department store Santa And he's go, It's a homosexual You know <laughs> When he does that, is so funny
4: Kind of a parallel in this episode too When uh, Denny referred to himself As a heterosexual
3: Oh yes That's right He did pronounce it You know really the He pronounced yeah, it like Yeah He made
4: sure everyone knew It was hetero And then <laughs> sexual
3: Alright I'm going to play One more clip From this storyline Because of course It has Brad in it So how could you not? That's <laughs> great. Now, there's a lot of, unfortunately, not time when it's not, nothing, nobody's saying anything. I wish you could see the visual, but basically they're trying to find the body of Bernie.
2: Can't believe I'm here doing this. We have to at least really see the scene before calling the police. Why do they always put the dead bodies in the
6: basement? So they can still entertain.
5: Well, there's nothing down here. Looks like she lied to us.
6: Look.
4: Did she say he was in an icebox?
3: Nope.
2: Open it. You open it. Why me? You're a man. Do the math. Oh, no.
6: I'm not opening it. I still can't believe I'm even here. I make over a million dollars a year, and I'm in a basement looking for a dead midget.
3: Screams of the of Shirley and Tara
4: <laughs> as we see uh, Bernard Farian's frozen
3: corpse in the ice box. Yep, it's interesting because they're, they have not reported this to the police. they're we have to look, you know, to find the body first. We got to see the scene. And I notice as Brad is lifting the ice box lid, he's got his black gloves on, very O.J. Simpson ish. Yes. Yeah. Like wow, I mean, is this this is ethical, Brad? <laughs>
4: you know, I don't think so. I think this is Brad. After he's been sold. Uh, loyal Brad doing what he's okay. supposed to do for the firm. That's how he's going to get away with
3: it. Okay. Of course, this story storyline just, ha- I, we can't cover it all, but it wasn't it priceless with Shirley and in court, actually, with um, Catherine urging the speedy trial? Basically, we're going to, you know, say, yes, she did murder him. at self defense. Then Shirley just, reason why we have to <laughs> hurry the trial is that due to her advanced age, my client's advanced years, you know, She's been a good person going back all the way to the 1800s. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, there was more than one reference there. It was great. Incredible. And then Catherine had to get her own little remark in there when she requested the Robert Blake jury. <laughs>
3: <That> was fantastic. <laughs> I love those pop culture references. All right. Well, unfortunately, we have to move on from that one, but Catherine Piper will be revisited quite a bit, I think, in the next episodes of Whiff and a Prayer. Okay. All right. The clergy fetish storyline. This is the one that you alluded to earlier with Sarah Garrett and Denise and yes. Reverend Donald Didham. Now, Reverend Donald Didham, why don't you do our Six Degrees thing again?
4: Oh, yeah. He's He's uh, representing uh, Denise's ex-husband in Tim. the divorce case, and he's played by Kurt Fuller, who I talked about last week. But he also has um, a, a role on Desperate Housewives right now, playing Detective Barton. As most of you probably already know from last year, uh, Desperate Housewives led into Boston Legal last year on Sunday nights. And if this episode had been a uh, episode that aired last year instead of when they pulled the show last year, you would have seen Kurt Fuller on two different shows in a row.
3: <laughs> you know, I don't understand a lot about actors' contracts with networks and stuff. I kind of thought it was all sort of like a you know just a hired for one job. But I guess after reporting that Justin Mintel signed a seven year deal with ABC. I just think, you know, you know, ABC, Kurt Fuller probably signed this deal with ABC, so he's showing up on ABC shows.
4: Well, and he was on Alias a few years back, so yeah, ABC? that's an ABC show as well. There
3: go. And I guess Mark Valley, of course, who's on Boston Legal, is making an appearance on the first few episodes of um, a new show that ABC is doing mid-season with, uh, I can't remember her name, but anyway... Um, Never mind. <laughs> a comedy show. Also, he was on, this is interesting, this is back in 2001, Kurt Fuller. I know we're spending a lot of time with Kurt Fuller, but I just thought it was interesting because of what's going on. He played Karl Rove. Does that sound familiar, Karl Rove?
4: Yeah, he's in the news for something or other.
3: <laughs> something or other. There's a show called That's My Bush back in 2001. It was kind of a takeoff on George Bush in the White House. Right. And uh, he played Karl Rove, which, you know, we all know now is the, is the deputy chief of staff. He's under investigation. Re- revealing to Novak about that undercover CIA operative You're to the ambassador.
4: To are we allowed to say her name?
3: Um, the, her name is it's like Plame or something like yeah, that? Yeah,
4: Veronica, I think.
3: Okay, very good. Oh, well, you know a lot.
4: I don't know if we're, I know. like, that's what got uh, Novak yeah. into trouble in the first place, so.
3: I'll put a beep over that.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's right. I mean, well, it's being reported, maybe, but...
4: You yeah, know. you can see it now because it's already been leaked, but...
3: Podcasts are immune. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Should I play a quick soundbite of the of what Sarah actually entraps him with?
2: If we
4: you you have it? time, I'd love to hear something. Okay. Topic.
3: We will do it. Everybody just bear with us as
4: the time progresses. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to have to have another attorney handle this matter. I beg your pardon? It's just divorce law is not my specialty and I
2: feel Denise's interests aren't best being served. You're
5: doing wonderful work here. We're almost at a meeting of the minds. It's not
2: the meeting of the minds that concerns me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. What did you mean by it? Nothing. I am apologize, but I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Okay. I'm attracted to you. I mean, I'm not. I just think I am. Which is to say, I have a problem. Problem? Um, I shouldn't be litigating.
4: With clergy. What do you mean? This has to just be between us. You can't tell your client to do, ever get back to my client. No, I, 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 I give you my word. I, um... I have... a clergy fetish.
3: And there you have the confession of the soap opera that is called Boston Legal.
4: <laughs> <laughs> with uh, Sarah and the Reverend.
3: Yes, and of course, all this—if you haven't seen the episode and you're just listening to us—all this is a ploy to get him in a bind where he's putting his own needs ahead of his client, and then they like, they can negotiate. And in Flash, fact, how, how black does that blackmail black, slash blackmail blackmail? So finally, we get to see a moment with Garrett. Why don't you explain how it, finally this is put to rest?
4: No, well, they closed the storyline with uh, Garrett popping up on a video screen in the room, having caught the Reverend, you know, red-handed, and uh, he, 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 after they give their demands, I guess, for what they want to pay Denise's ex-husband for the divorce, um, he says, think on it, pray on it, and I think that's that, that's a little interesting little reference to what the Reverend had said in the previous episodes when he was the one who was, you know, had the upper hand in the negotiations, you know, saying, you know, we want this amount of money, we want this because you make this, and he wants to be on the PGA Tour, and now that Garrett and Sarah have turned the tables on him, I thought it was really cool for Garrett to pop up and say, think on it, pray on it. Basically just blindside the reverend, and they pretty much caught him.
3: <laughs> he starts out, reverend, reverend, you little slut.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was funny. When he, when he popped up on the screen, and, and Sarah backed off, and he was just like, what?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I actually felt bad for the guy. I mean, you know, it's, it's, he's a man.
4: He is a man. She's an attractive woman, but... <laughs>
3: But then again, we wouldn't have Boston Legal if it wasn't some blackmail involved somewhere. Right. I mean, I think we do remember Alan with the um, the pictures in the first uh, the series premiere. Yeah. When uh, he took pictures of the client snorting yeah, cocaine did. off the hooker's body, <laughs> <laughs> had him drop. Well, it's his
4: like, hand. As long as you don't get caught.
3: Final storyline.
4: We have the well, I guess we can't really call it a relationship anymore between Tara and Alan. They're through.
3: Let's let Tara say that in her own words. We need to talk, Alan. No, we don't. You've re-fallen
0: for a former boyfriend. You've decided to go back to him, so be it.
3: I would like to talk about it. Why?
5: To put a tidy little bow on it in celebration of the friendship? We're breaking up,
0: Tara. Let's not turn it into a hallmark moment.
6: The root of our relationship was a friendship. That was
0: perhaps your root. For me, it's the little things sharing a glass of wine as we do the crossword early morning coffee listening to books on tape while i teeth on your left breast tara sorry i have little doubt you're doing what's best for you
1: i decided not to go back to him
0: then what is it we're not talking about
1: as much as it might not be him, I suppose
6: he made me realize that it isn't you, either. As much as
3: I love you, and I do very much, I need to move on. And I hope you never have to hear that from a woman, Kyle.
4: Oh, that would be terrible.
3: this It's sad stuff.
4: It is. Just, Although I'm really still surprised that Alan gave up the way he did. Although he didn't really lose her to Malcolm, he kind of he didn't even ask why or put up a fight with her. He just kind of let her walk out of his life.
3: Is it better, do you think, to lose a woman or your relationship partner to another, you know, partner, or for them to leave you because of you?
4: I don't know. For it's Alan, I, I don't think he would have wanted either. Yeah. <laughs> so but to see her leave the way she did. He readily admits,
3: like with the whole Solitude references, that he he knows he's not a good partner.
4: Yeah, he does. That doesn't mean he doesn't deserve companionship.
3: No, but he can buy that.
4: (laughs) (laughs) He can. He does make plenty of money.
3: And he's got Denny as well. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. I just found a slash site for Alan and Denny. I'm not going to give it out,
4: but it's like (laughs)
3: perfect what's about them.
4: Well, Um, now that they've slept together, knows where they're going to go.
3: This is, yeah. David Kelly, it's your own fault.
4: (laughs) You set it up. You wrote it.
3: You wrote it. Yeah, there's something very disturbing to me about those two. You know, (laughs) any kind of slashy situation just not going to happen in my brain. All right, one more quote. And speaking of our favorite couple, OTP. OTP. (laughs) This is Alan to Denny. Actually, played at the very beginning of the episode as they stand out on the balcony early again, and uh, he kind of explains that Tara is no longer with him. And that's where the whole idea of going to Nemo Bay comes about.
0: I really believe if a woman is going to move on, she should be required to move away. woman once left me because the way I grunted during sex reminded her of her fop-fellied pig. You grunt like a pig during sex? Mm. And when I fell asleep after? She said I snored like her pig too, you just can't win relationships and for all sorts of reasons the only thing you can do is go
3: fishing <laughs> the reason he sounded so muffled is he, of course the ever-present cigar in his mouth yeah
4: he was smoking a cigar
3: <laughs> sucking on it
4: it was great to hear alan say i think whenever a woman wants to move on she should also have to move away because even though um uh, rona mitra is, is not going to be on the show for much longer he's still going to have to deal with the fact that he works with tara he had a relationship with her and that's never easy
3: no, that's true. Oh, to be in the same firm. I mean, at least Sally left. or Yeah, actually? at least she was Sally done
4: no, Although, like like I said before with Rona Mitra, she's on FX's Nip Tuck now. Yes. She's not on Boston Legal anymore, so and you will we'll see how much longer that. Tara left at the firm.
3: You still can't watch that, can you?
4: No, can't. Oh, well.
3: <laughs> I know. I'm going to miss her voice. That She's got a world-class voice.
4: Yes, yeah, she does. And I think Alan will miss it as well.
3: It's time to take these guys off the stage and set you on Cinder Stage because this is the part I always look forward to. It's a shame it has to come at the very end. <laughs> but this is, this is a verbal version of what you will write and we will post on the website. This is Kyle's The
4: Good, The
3: Bad, and The Ugly.
4: That's how we like to close. Okay, starting off with uh, this third episode of Season 2, uh, Finding Nemo, The Good. Uh, I'd like to mention David E. Kelly's witty, hilarious dialogue and wealth of one-liners in this episode was him at his comic best, and I would I would even contend to say the funniest episode of the series. You guys want to debate that with me? You can email me. Um, definitely one of the funniest I've seen, and not just from the main characters, not just from the Allens and the Denny's, but from um, Brad, Shirley, even Paul had their uh, funny moments in this episode, which was which was good.
3: Lori, too.
4: Yeah, well, yeah, with Bernard in there.
3: Her one line was, "Tara dumped Allen."
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she hasn't been around much but she was there There she was. I guess they're just trying to show you that she does still kind of work there even though they're focusing on Denise and and Garrett and Sarah and everyone else more. Next item on the good would be when Alan and Denny went off to Nemo Bay. I liked the deliverance music playing in the background. It made me chuckle more than once to hear the (laughs) little twang while they were up in Canada and Boston Legal has had a history of using unlikely music to undercut their the action that you see and they did that again here. The next item I I scribbled down while I was taking notes was, uh, all I wrote were, I guess it's four words. I wrote the spooning scene, and then I wrote hee. And I just thought I would mention that the spooning scene was pretty, pretty funny. And we'd heard about it a lot. Like you said, we heard about it from Spader when he was on, he said, I think he was on Conan, when he mentioned that he had a spooning scene with, with William or with Denny. And the scene didn't disappoint, I'll say that. Next item on the good would be uh, Brad, Shirley, and Tara walking down the stairs of, I guess it was, I'm not sure if it's Catherine's house or Bernie's house, but down to the basement where the icebox was and seeing Bernie's uh, frozen corpse in, in the icebox. And then they immediately transitioned to a scene where Alan was similarly screaming, but for a completely different reason. The last thing I'd like to mention in the good would be Alan's Davy Crockett hat that he insisted on wearing. (laughs) I thought it was very reminiscent of from last year's Death Be Not Proud episode when he insisted on wearing a cowboy hat when he went to Texas. So in here he's going to fishing in the Great White North and he wears the Davy Crockett hat. That was interesting.
3: Keep giving us those hats.
4: Yeah, like who knows what's next? Where's he going to go next? The next
3: one is a flamingo hat. I'll tell you that. That's the Halloween episode. (laughs) All
4: right. Moving on to the bad, I didn't really want to put anything in here except for, um, because it was such a good episode, I really enjoyed it. I will say that Garrett's plan was a little underhanded, but they pulled it off, so even though it was a little bit unethical, it worked, and I'd also like to mention that uh, Reverend Reverend Didum, you sick, sick man, that's what I wrote last night in my notes, you sick, sick man. (laughs) (laughs) And then last but not least, for the ugly, I'd like to emphasize what I put here by leaving it the only thing that I put in the ugly and not adding anything else, Denny shooting a steelhead salmon point-blank range with a very powerful shotgun. The only thing I wrote down after that was, whoa, (laughs) because I was stunned and then I, I immediately started laughing, but I still couldn't quite believe that he did it. And then to see the guide putting him in timeout and then later on, the photograph of Alan and Denny. You have Alan proudly holding his fish, and Denny proudly holding his fish head.
3: Fish head. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to be singing that Doctor Minnow song all <laughs> fish heads, fish heads. <laughs> no so other uglies.
4: No, no I, well, I. There were some other scenes that that came up, but I, I like I said, I wanted to make sure everyone understood just how ugly that scene was with the fish head. Yes, it was.
3: Well, thank you very much, Kyle. The good, bad, the ugly. Get more of Kyle's written word. Check back in a few days and you will find it. Boston-legal.org on the Nemo page. You'll find
4: it. Yes, I've I've recently recovered uh, the ability to type with my left hand, so I should have, I still haven't posted Schadenfreude's review, but. The review for that episode and for this one should be up relatively soon because I can now type with two hands again. So. But
3: you can; you actually are typing with two hands.
4: Well, yeah, because I don't have to wear the cast all the time, so yeah. it's like a—it's really more like more of a splint. I don't have a cast, so if I take it off and and hold my arm in a certain way, it doesn't hurt at all. So
3: excellent. So you are somewhat amb- ambidextrous. You
4: a little bit, yeah. like when I type, I type with two hands. So
3: oh well, sure, that's true. All right. In closing, we want to, as we usually do, talk about just briefly what's coming up next week, a whiff and a prayer. This would be episode four. It'll yeah. air on October 18. Should we just play a little soundbite and then you want to fill in some blanks? Or do you want to talk about it first? Just give us an idea. You can play
4: the soundbite. No, no, whatever the soundbite doesn't, whatever story the soundbite doesn't touch on, I'll mention.
3: Here we go. Next on
0: Boston Legal. How do you feel about gun control for communists? What about banning assault weapons in the private sector?
6: No.
5: You okay? Tara quit. She quit the firm. She quit me, actually.
6: By banning assault weapons in the private sector, the military and the police would lose their guns. And the domino.
2: It's a whole theory. Alan, do you have the necessary
5: focus to try this case? I do. We, the jury, find the defendant.
3: We don't know what's going to happen with Catherine, of course. But...
4: Okay, well, they can't give away the ending no. in the teaser. Anything they touched on the assault weapon case, and they touched on Catherine Piper, Allen defending Catherine. And I'd like, also like to mention Brad getting on Alan about whether or not he's in the right state of mind to try the case.
3: That's right.
4: There's just one more storyline we can look forward to in the next episode that the teaser did not mention, and that is the continuation of the story with Denise, Garrett, Sarah, and the Reverend. Reverend Didum is trying to, you know, recover some lost ground. He wants to report Sarah and Garrett for what they did to him to get hit, hit the alimony. I guess it would be a settlement or something so, yes, like that. exactly. I guess, like, whatever it was. They got it down to hundred grand from something that was, like, five, ten times that. And we're going to see how that goes on into the future, see if their plan actually ends up working or not. <laughs> so that's what we can look for in the next episode, the fourth of season two, A Whiff and a Prayer, airing October 18th.
3: Let's, let me just say that I would like to see occasionally some consequences on Boston.
4: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, with all these unethical things they do, they never really get busted, do they?
3: No, they don't. And you Although, know, and you know who always looks like a, a dork is, is Brad Chase, the one that tries to toe the line, you know?
4: Right, yeah. Right. Oh, and then also, though, didn't Alan get knocked for, you know, a quadrupled contempt? Yes. And we haven't seen him in jail yet.
3: Well, he just skipped the country.
4: I, I mean, he did, Is. We might get in tr- more trouble for that, or okay. we're going to forget about it, or there was a time jump that they just didn't mention.
3: That's true. Because, how well, no, I but I think I've seen a picture of them sitting in jail. Okay, but you know, I could maybe he's with Catherine, I don't know.
4: So. <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
3: Good point quadruple <laughs> sentence for contempt.
4: Yeah, and we haven't seen him fulfilling that yet, so we'll see.
3: So tell a friend, watch Boston Legal Tuesdays at 10. This is uh, season two, episode three, with an Prayer. Like you said, thank you very much, Kyle. Wonderful to be here with you every week. And I wish you speedy recovery, of course, on the hand.
4: Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
3: Kyle, why don't you tell everybody how they can contact us or leave a message?
4: You can contact us by email at bostonillegal at gmail.com. And our phone number, I don't have it right in front of me. It's 1-800- 986- 8290.
3: 8290.
4: That's toll free in the United States.
3: Don't expect a call back. Just leave a message. Talk, Talk. <laughs> you know, your comment. Be prepared to leave... Your comments, maybe a new guest actor that you'd like to see on the show, your favorite scene, if your favorite quote from the show, anything you want. We like to have many voices in this podcast. Yes, we do. Boston Legal here and now is brought to you by Forestrain Studios and the unofficial website, boston-legal.org. And by the way, I'd like everybody's opinion. Should I call this thing Boston Legal Podcast or Boston Illegal Podcast? You know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying not to, like, use copyrighted names in this podcast. right? But no one's going to know when they search for it. Then nobody's going to be searching for Boston Illegal when they're trying to find, you know, content to listen to. So my dilemma at the moment Yeah. My husband's demanding I pick one or the other because I'm confusing the audience. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kyle, until next time, remember.
4: We look good, right? We look great. You
0: grunt like a pig during sex. Mm. And when I fell asleep after. She said I snored like her pig, too. Just can't win
2: Welcome to Canada. It's a maple leaf they Canada, oh Canada, it's great. The people are I nice and they speak French too. If you don't like it, man, you're slippery. The Great White North. They're kilted. Man, do the math. They've got trees and mooses and sled dogs, lots of lumber and lumberjacks and logs. We don't think that's kind of a drag, that they have to go there to get milk in a bag. They say,
0: Is there something wrong with that? They're evildoers. Yesterday it's a tree, today it's a salmon, tomorrow it's let's not dig up Alaska for oil because it's too pretty.
2: Please, please explain to me how this all has come to be. We forgot to mention something here. Did we say that William Shatner is a native citizen? From Venice.